episode 184 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. You can get a free three-day trial of the Ground School app by visiting learnthefinerpoints.com. Uh, my name is Trevor Aldridge, call sign Dozen. Uh, flew for the Air Force for 12 years, uh, fly reserves now. Uh, flew in Thunder Ridge a little bit. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today's podcast is with Trevor Aldridge. You might know him on Instagram of Dozen underscore Aldridge. He was Pilot Thunderbird number two in 2020, and one of the coolest guys I've had on. I, I was so psyched to talk to him. Just an awesome guy. His story of how he came up and what he has done is pretty impressive. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. If you do enjoy this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check out Pilot's Coffee and Pilot the Pilot on Instagram and our website. You need to try Pilot's Coffee. It is honestly so, so good. So go ahead and check that out at Pilot's Coffee and Pilot'sCoffee.com. But Aviation, I'm going to keep this intro nice and short. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. And without any further ado, here's Dozen Aldridge. Trevor, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, like we talked about a little bit before we started recording. Uh, this took a while to get coming up. We both had busy schedules. It's like, oh, I can do this day. You're like, oh, I'll be in Paris or in whatever or doing something cool. So it's like, all right, we finally got it down. I had to delay it for 20. It looks like 30 minutes now. So you've been gracious, probably just waiting there. Like, come on, dude, let's go. <laughs> but I appreciate yeah, I it. Think, no worries, dude. I think we've been trying for like six to nine months or something like that to try to make this happen. So. Uh, glad to finally, glad to finally catch up and make our schedules meet, dude. I also love in the intro, uh, you just casually dropped like, yeah, you know, it was a Thunderbird pilot uh, in between your intro. It's like, what? <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, dude, I've been really lucky, like super fortunate to fly a ton of different stuff. Uh, and yeah, definitely the the coolest uh, was was getting to fly the F sixteen with uh, the Thunderbirds. That was that was pretty sick. Well, cool. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, the beginning, I want to start out with, why did you even want to get into aviation? Was this a lifelong dream or was it kind of just a life you stumbled into? Uh, I don't know, dude. I just wanted to find... So I grew up in like a small town in Texas and uh, grew up super poor. And I, I was really looking for an escape. Like I was looking for a way out. Um, and I always got was like obsessed with the Apollo missions. And, you know, they were all test pilots and stuff like that. And I was like, shit, that sounds awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. So. Um, I, don't know, I just kind of started wanting to do that kind of stuff and to figure out, all right, well, you got to, you want to go military aviation, you got to have a degree, you got to be an officer. And I was like, all right, well, how do I get a, nobody in my family had been to college? Like, how do I do that? Uh, and was lucky enough to get the Air Force to, to pay for college. Um, and then went from there, uh, got picked up for a pilot slot and went to go fly, fly there. So that was kind of, uh, the route how it went. But, um, I'm like to feel super, super lucky to, to kind of stumbled into this path. So if there's no Air Force, no military, you would not be a pilot at all. You'd still be kind of hanging out in Texas. Dude, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be a pilot. Probably, I, definitely, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have a college degree. Most likely, I'd just probably be like, you know, I'd probably be doing a trade. I'd probably be welding or working on a farm or something like that. You know. I mean, that just goes to show how important and how kind of 
great the military can be for people to give someone an opportunity to whether just simplify it and give them a college degree, teach them something to, to show them community, to show them a, a way out per se is what you said. So even if it's not flying, the military can serve a great purpose for, for your life. If that's something that you're interested in. Yeah. For the right person. Absolutely, man. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, it, it helps, uh, kind of give you a little bit of a guidance, a little bit of a vector on, on a way to go. Um, and even if you're not going aviation, right, just military in general, I think can be good for the right people who are looking for, for a way to, right. They're not exactly sure what they want to do. Uh, it's a great way to like challenge yourself and, and do some hard stuff for a while to, uh, figure out who you are and figure out what you want to do. Um, but for me in the aviation world, it was, uh, dude, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> I freaking loved it. <laughs> so talk about the process of, uh, choosing the air force or kind of how this all went down was it just you saw an ad or you're walking in the mall and you know every once in a while i see like a store for like the marines or like the air force and you just stumble yeah, in right. and be like i want to do this join join the navy yeah right um, come play video games yeah. and join the navy <laughs> it's like well okay. you know like so i'm i'm in my mid-30s and like growing up we watched top gun you know what i mean and that was always freaking awesome i think that's the number one recruiting cool tool for aviation like for the past 35 years you know what i mean so um, but so I, I don't know, I kind of thought I wanted to go Navy and like I said, I was obsessed with the Apollo missions. So, um, they were mostly Navy pilots as well. And I was like, all right, well, uh, Navy aviation is the way to go. Um, and that was kind of through my like junior year of high school and, uh, my sophomore, I guess it wasn't my junior year of high school. I started dating this girl and it turns out we've been together for 21 years now, but as we were sitting around the dinner table and things were getting more and more serious, uh, her dad, who was a previous A-10 pilot and then, uh, flew for American airlines was telling me, he's like, all right, like I know you're just in high school, but if this starts to get serious, he's like, you may want to give the Air Force a consideration over the Navy, uh, you know, because he knew the quality of life difference, you know, what it's like in the in the Air Force versus Navy, and you know, in the Navy you live on a boat for six months at a time, and you're, you know, when you're gone, you're truly gone, and uh, we have deployments like that in the Air Force, but it's not as continuous as it is in the Navy. So, uh, and you know, they just the Air Force tends to treat the people pretty well, so. Uh, so yeah, after like, he wore me down after like dinner table, after dinner table conversation over and over and over again, over the course of a couple of years, he wore me down. So when it came time to, uh, pick an ROTC, I went up, uh, I went up going to, to the air force and you're like, all right, let's, let's, let's go that route, which I'm so thankful for in hindsight. Yeah. It sounds like it was a good influence in your life. Cause I have nothing, I know nothing about the military, but in my conversations with, with certain people, it's definitely the air force gets treated a little bit better. I don't know. I don't say pampered is the right word, but maybe their hotels are better. Their food's better. Accommodations all around the board can be better. Yeah. I mean, I'm not hot, hot bunk in, in, on a boat for six months a year, you know, <laughs> like, you, when you go places, you're like, you know, if it's up, you know, you're generally a hotel, you got air conditioning, you, get, you know, decent food, you get crew rest, you get all, you know, pilot rest, all this stuff. So, um, it's, uh, it's uh, pampered is probably not, uh, the best word, but, but it's probably not completely it's still the military, either. right? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's still, still the military. The military. Yeah, you're exactly. not staying in five star, yeah. five star resorts. Right. Yeah. So you're at dinner table, your fa your future father-in-law, uh, eventually talks you into it and you're like, all right, I'm going in the air force. What did that look like? I, I heard you mention ROTC. Uh, did you go through high school ROTC? Did you apply to college, then go to ROTC? What was that progress? What would that process look like? Yeah, so I didn't do high school ROTC at all. Like the JROTC, I didn't do that. Um, just in my school, that wasn't as big of a deal. Um, I focused more on other extracurricular activities. And, um, and so from high school, I wound up getting into Texas A&M University. And then it was a separate application to uh, ROTC to to get into to get a scholarship with ROTC. So you can kind of just like walk in 
uh, kind of like a walk-in and be like, Hey, this is what I want to do. And, and go through the training and that kind of stuff. And if you do well, you can get a scholarship, um, as you've already entered, you know what I mean? Like a year in, if, if they like you and you're good to go and they have the scholarship available. Um, but I was, I applied in high school for one. So I got one from, for my first year. So they paid for, actually paid for five years of school. Uh, cause I, I got my degree in engineering, so I, I didn't do much summer school. So I, I got five years to get it knocked out. So you're coming, you're in high school, you know, this is the track you want to go down. What are the requirements of them? So obviously they're not just giving out free money and for you to have fun in college. What's the requirements? What's tagged to this? Is this like a commitment every year we pay for is a year that you have to serve in the air force. Uh, I know aviation isn't a given, so this is just kind of a, a generic you're signing up to go to the air force, right? Yeah. You know, and my, my dad is a little bit old. Uh, so everything I'm saying, I would recommend if somebody's looking to do this themselves to definitely look it up, talk to your RTC recruiters, talk, you know, see what the current rules are and stuff like that. But for me, when I was going through, uh, you, your first year was basically free. They would pay for a year of school. Um, you, you, you didn't really sign on quite yet. And then after your first year, if you decide to continue going and you continue to get your scholarship, then now you owe the air force, right? So, uh, say you take four years to graduate, then you owe four years in the air force. Uh, so it's a a one-to-one ratio, which really, I mean, to think about coming out of college with, you know, four, you know, you owe four years military service with no debt, um, is not, not a bad deal, especially with how expensive college is these days. Uh, but that's, that's how it was. So every year that they paid for school, you essentially owed one year of service to the military. And that's until you decide you want to be a pilot and then you sign up for that. And that's another, what, like 10 years signed on for them to pay for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. Right. Yeah. You sign your first, firstborn child. Um, <laughs> no, it's cause it's expensive to send somebody through pilot training. It's freaking expensive. I mean, it's like, um, you know, depending upon what track you go through, it's anywhere between one to $2 million, uh, to get somebody just to get on their wings. Right. Um, and in the, the air force training now it's phenomenal training. It's the best training in the world. Uh, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced of that. I've seen a lot of different trainings and uh, it is the best training in the world, but, um, it's expensive. So, uh, so in order to do that, the air force, what they do is they say, all right, you want to go to pilot training. Once you get your wings, right. Once you graduate pilot training, you owe 10 years. Um, and it generally takes about a year and a half to two years to get to that point where you, you get your wings. So, um, you're looking at about a 12 year commitment, uh, to be able to do that. Um, now that said, I mean, I spent 12 years, but I got to, you know, I'm, I got to go fly F-15s in Okinawa and all over the Pacific. Uh, I got to fly F-15s in England. I, I taught fighter fundamentals for for several years. I got to fly F-16s on the Thunderbirds, right? So, I mean, it's not like it was a rough life. I, it's nothing I can complain about. Uh, and I never felt, like, entombed within the commitment. Um, but that's uh, but you do have a decent commitment. Does What is the commitment with just the plain Air Force from ROTC? Is that added on top? So total would be about 15 years or total, or is it just? They, they run concurrently. So like, if, so like I did five years, they paid for five years of my college. So I owed five years of the Air Force, but then I also owed 10 years after pilot training. So essentially pilot training to get done with that took two years, three years after that, my initial school commitment was done, but I still owed whatever, eight years of of my pilot training commitment to be, to be left. So they run, they run concurrently until now when they need all these pilots are like, well, actually we're going to add that on. So now, <laughs> yeah, who, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, but yeah, that's, that's how it worked at the time. That's good. Uh, like you said though, even just the basic ROTC will pay for your school four years in the military. I mean, 
doesn't sound like a terrible idea. Uh, if the military's for you, it's not for everyone, right? Like if you don't want to go to the military, don't do it. But if you're thinking about it, it's not a bad way to, to go to school and watch some bad football at Texas A&M. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now. Well, we, have, we didn't get to talk before the podcast. I know, right? Go? Yeah, I had to throw I had to throw one dig in there, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's go into uh, you are, I guess, the process of becoming an Air Force aviator when you're not going through the academy. Talk about what you did to set yourself up, because obviously this was a goal, right? This is what you wanted to do if you're going in the Air Force. This was your your end goal was to be a pilot, right? Mm-hmm, right. What did it look like to 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 make that happen? Uh, dude. So, I mean, just like anything else in life, like hard work, uh, focus, uh, and, and, and being, hoping that the timing is right. Right. Uh, so, so luck and timing as well as combined with a lot of hard work. So, uh, you know, going through ROTC, just, you know, obviously working really hard to try and, you know, make decent grades, uh, do whatever extracurricular stuff you can. Um, you know, you go to field training, you, you, you prepare for that field training is kind of the event you do after your, uh, either sophomore, junior year, where you, uh, it's like, a, a like the equivalent of like a boot camp for officers, right. Where you, um, you get yelled at, you do pushups, you, you make your bed, you run around, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you get rated on that. Right. And so your rating out of that is important. So how well you march, how well you, and make a bed, how well you can, honestly, what they're really trying to see is how do you deal with stress, right? How do you, how do you deal with stress? How do you, uh, how hard do you work and, and that kind of stuff? And that's, you know, what are, what are your leadership skills? Right. Uh, and so they're, they're kind of rating you as, as your potential officer capabilities. And, uh, that goes a long way into your, your overall ranking and, um, obviously your GPA, uh, there's certain tests that you can take, like, uh, um, it's kind of like mini video game type stuff that, um, and like spatial, uh, observations to like see a cube in 3d and like understand what that means from different angles and stuff. So, um, there's all kinds of different tests that go along, but I think the big ones are just, you know, get working really hard to do really well in that field training and then trying to get decent grades in college. It's crazy to think that you're being judged on how well you make a bed. You know, it's like, I am 20 years old. It's a freaking bed. (laughs) Like, this is bull crap. I'd be like, come on, guys. Like, really? Like, you're going to, I can't be a pilot because I don't want to make my bed right now. Like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, so it's like, how do you handle that? Right. You've got like two minutes. Like, how can you, how do you prioritize your stuff? Right. So, um, it's like the small tasks, which seem menial, like, oh, you're just, marching around a small group of people in a column around a square. It's like, that seems super easy, but people get super stressed out about it. And they kind of like, it's silly in hindsight to think about, but like they know it's so important. And so they'll kind of crack, you know, and, uh, or they just can't handle the stress or whatever. And, uh, seeing how people handle, uh, under those situations are, are kind of what they're looking for. So yeah, it can be like really silly things, but if it's, it's a big enough stressful deal and they see a crack or they see how you, how you handle it, uh, that's, that's what they're looking for. Did most of your, your classmates or, uh, people that were in ROTC or force ROTC, was their goal to be a pilot too? Or is it, were you rare to actually want to be a pilot? Dude, it's a mixed bag. Um, you know, I think that, that if, if there was a pr- profession that most people wanted, uh, it would be pilot, but, but there were many, many people who want to do all kinds of other things. Right. So, um, I mean, there's between acquisitions or engineering or, um, you know, red, like things like civil engineering, like red horse squadron. That was actually the backup that I was thinking I might do. Uh, cause I got my degree in civil engineering. Um, you know, people are, people are, have a, 
desire to do a lot of different things. But yeah, I mean, with the Air Force specifically, the number one thing that people were, were seeking out was was being a pilot. But you've got options like like Wizzo, right? Sitting in the backseat of, of fighters and bombers, right? You've got, uh, you know, C2 controllers, right? So guys sitting in AWACS controlling these large fights and stuff like that. So there's other, um, you know, rated opportunities that are, that are still pretty sweet. Would you have been happy or would you have stuck around in the military for as long as you did if you did not receive a pilot bid? Um, honestly, I don't know what I would have done. If I, if I wouldn't have got a pilot slot, I probably would have, because I got my degree in engineering, so I probably would have done like some engineering in the Air Force, become a professional engineer, and then just like gotten out after my four or five years uh, in my commitment and then gone on into to engineering degree is, or an engineering profession is probably what would have happened. But so there'd be no pilot. We wouldn't be talking there, today. There'd be, there'd be no pilot. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I, I had to, I felt there's a very narrow path that worked out just right for me to be able to, to get on the path of becoming a pilot, which, which I'm very thankful for. Yeah. And, and it is luck. There is a lot of luck in it, but I'm a firm believer that you create your own luck. You know, like you said before, with, with the hard work you put in, with prioritizing the, the stupid thing, what seemed like stupid, like making your bed and sticking out and just doing the little things right and putting in the work, you can create your own luck and put yourself in a, a position to achieve all your goals. And now with your created luck, it also takes real luck to to right timing and all that's above and, and to continue to get selected. But uh, you can definitely help yourself out by putting yourself in the position to be considered. Yeah, absolutely, dude. And I, you know, I've seen that over and over again where like, you're not going to get it if you don't work hard. But even if you work hard, like things still kind of have to work out for you. You know what I mean? So um, you're, you're going to get nothing if you don't work hard. Right. Um, so that is like step one to entry. And then, of course, like things need to get a little better. Like, for example, when I was going through pilot training, um, when I first showed up, everybody was getting um, UAVs uh, out of pilot training, which they were going to fly like T-38s in pilot training. So they were going on like a fighter bomber track. And all these guys were getting like UAVs, which was not the most desirable. Most of these guys were wanting fighters, right? That's why they went T thirty eight. So they were getting, um, you know, best case scenario, they were getting you know these spec ops planes, which were which were cool, but um, really it wasn't. Uh, some are better than others, right? Uh, even within the spec ops world. And so, had I gone through pilot training a year earlier, like even the top guy in the class wasn't getting a fighter, you know. So um, the fact that I went through when I did, we had two, three fighter set out of, out of our drops. So, uh, of like 20 guys. So, um, so I was very lucky to have, have been in that class that I did. Now it was a lot of hard work, right? Like it doesn't discount the need and requirement for hard work, but, uh, you also have to understand that like, there's a lot of other people there out there that work hard and you have to be thankful for what you got. For sure. Now, looking back, you there's a couple of routes to, to go the route you did, if I'm not mistaken. And this is kind of my like terrible knowledge of the military. But you can, one, go to the academy. Two, do ROTC uh, through your school. Or three, can't you go to officer training school? Or is that similar to ROTC? Uh, yeah, you can go through OTS. Uh, and it's OTC if you're in the Navy. But um, yeah, so those, those are the three routes. You hit the nail on the head. You got the academy, uh, which is what you think, right? Uh, you get a congressional nomination to go. You go, you live in a dorm. You get no freedom for four years and life sucks. Uh, <laughs> you can go to RT. You can go to RT. No, I mean, it's a great way. Not, I'm not dogging that. Like the, the education is phenomenal. The it's free. Um, right. Like there's a lot of good things about it. Um, ROTC, you've got, uh, you know, it, there's different levels of ROTC, right? There's ROTC where you just go 
you wear a uniform one day a week and, and you go to a class one day a week and maybe do a little bit of physical training throughout the week. And that's about it. Uh, and then you have the other extreme of ROTC where you're going kind of like A&M or VMI or Virginia Tech or something like that, or the Citadel where you're, you're in a senior military college where you're, it's kind of like the academy that you're living in the dorm all the time, except that when you go out to school, like you're, you're interacting with like normal college students, not just military training people. So, um, and you get sweet football games to go to where they're, you know, kicking everybody's ass in the SEC. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so it's, yeah, it's pretty, so it's pretty awesome. Um, but, um, so that's kind of your second route. You can go RTC and then you're right. The third one's OTS. So OTS is an officer training school. And that's really designed for people who are already kind of in their field, um, or at a bare minimum already have a college degree, right? So say you have a college degree and, um, like, for example, uh, number three, or I guess he's number four pilot now on the Thunderbirds, uh, Thorny. He was an airline pilot. He was flying for Mesa Airlines. And he's like, you know what? I really want to go fly in the Air Force. And so he he already had his college degree. He was already flying in the airlines. And he's like, nah. And he dropped his he dropped a request to go OTS. He went OTS, uh, went through his training there, became an officer, went straight into pilot training which was completely unfair to all the other students, right? I mean, you've got this guy who's, uh, who's flying, uh, who's got, you know, 2,000 hours or so starting pilot training. Uh, but he obviously did really well, and he got a Strike Eagle out of that. So um, so he went and flew Strike Eagles and moved on Thunderbirds. And once he gets out, he's going to go do some other type of aviation. So that's kind of the OTS route is like uh, you've already got your college degree uh, and you want to compete against everybody else who has already has their college degrees for a slot. Interesting. Good to know. That was. Uh... That's pretty well explained in, in seven minutes. So good job. <laughs> um, so you are, you're leaving Texas A&M. You just find out you are getting your pilot slot. Was that a nerve wracking day for you? Did you ever think there wasn't a chance you're going to get it? Or did you really trust yourself that you put yourself in a position to, to succeed and get it? Uh, there's always doubt, man. Right. I mean, anybody who says they have no doubt is like, it is probably too arrogant for their own good. Right. Like, there's, there's of course doubt at, throughout, right? I mean, you're going to, things were going well, right? I felt like there was a good chance, but, but still like, yeah, you're always terrified until you get the news that like, it's positive. Like it's, it's terrifying. Um, you know, that uncertainty of like, what is my future going to hold? Um, so yeah, getting that news that like, oh, you got a pilot slot, like, oh, you are going to be going to pilot training. Like that was, that was incredible. That was huge. So you got the slot. What's next? Where are you moving? Did you find out what plane you're going to, what track you're going down or was that kind of the next step? Uh, so initially I was going to be going to do my initial training with the Navy actually out of Pensacola. And then they swapped my assignment from there to, uh, to Texas. Uh, there's a training there called Inject Euro NATO joint jet pilot training. Uh, and that's kind of amongst air force, uh, pilot training. That's the most prestigious, uh, because you are one working with your NATO counterparts and two, kind of guarantee, you're guaranteed, as long as you don't screw anything up too bad, guaranteed to go on to a T-38, which is the most competitive of the different types of pilot training. So um, so for a couple different reasons, it's the most competitive. And so uh, so when I got swapped to that, I was like, dude, you're going get, to get, get guaranteed a T-38. Uh, you know, you're going to, to fly with the NATO guys and stuff like that. I, that, was, that was really freaking, uh, freaking exciting to, to hear. Um, where and was then, that in yeah. Texas? Is it like top secret? Are you allowed to say? Or <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's open. It's super open. Uh, it's in Wichita Falls, Texas, which is uh, up north, kind of on the border of the Red River uh, between Oklahoma and Texas. 
Well, I'm glad that you were happy about the planes because I would much rather live in Pensacola than Wichita Falls. <laughs> no offense yeah, to Wichita Falls. Well, but that was only for the first part of the training. And I knew that the second part of the training, I was going to have to go somewhere else. And your other options are like Enid, Oklahoma, which is, um, you know, you got Columbus, Mississippi. So there's not a lot of uh, like Wichita Falls in, in comparison to those is actually uh, much better. Yeah. Or, or you got Del, Del, Del Rio. I was Texas, just about to is, say, I've flown yeah, to Del Rio a Mexico. lot. And I can't yeah. imagine being slotted in Del Rio. <laughs> right. Man, I feel bad for that. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. So you're you're going there. I mean, you're you're amped to be selected. And then you're probably really excited to see that you got switched over to go to Wichita Falls and go to the the NATO joint training. Um, what was that like going through that? Uh dude, it was cool. So like, you know, I was just a Texas kid and uh like going through training with these like Germans and Dutch and Italians and stuff like that. And, you know, of course, we're out of college now, so we're partying together and stuff like that. It was kind of my first cultural immersion, right? Even though it was still in Texas, like this time, it was still in this like small town of Texas. Uh, it was crazy because it was like, oh, like I'm learning so much about their cultures. And it, and it was it was pretty cool um, from like a, a and then, I, like I said, some of the closest friends I've ever I've ever I still have some of my closest friends were from there. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a really awesome experience socially. Uh, and then obviously professionally, uh, learning to fly airplanes, it was incredibly challenging. Um, like I, I didn't know any, I didn't know the first thing about flying an airplane. And so, you know, after about, what is it? 16 hours or so in a, in a diamond DA 20, uh, they throw you into a T six Texan two, which is like a, it's like a thousand horsepower ejection seat complex. Um, you know, it's got a PT six engine on the front uh, beast, you know, and you've got to do that. And like, after just a handful of hours, like 10 hours or so, you're solo on that thing. Um, so no pressure. Yeah. You're like hanging on to the back elevator, just trying not to, you know, your essay so far behind the jet, you're just trying to not kill yourself. Um, it was, it was tough. It was like a super, super steep learning curve. Um, cause in those six months, dude, you learn, you learn, uh, not only do you learn just how to fly airplanes and land, that's like in the first month, you learn in, in six months, you learn in about 125 hours, you learn all your contact stuff. You learn instruments, you learn cross country, you learn aerobatics, you learn formation aerobatics, you learn low level, uh, low level navigation, low level timing. Um, I mean, you, you really do a ton of stuff in, in six months. Uh, so yeah, it's fast. It's a super steep learning curve. Did it ever feel like too much? Did you ever feel like I can't do this? There's no way. Um, no, I mean, there's, there's frustration, right? I mean, like there's definitely times and I think every, I, I don't know of a single pilot who, who, you know, if he's being completely honest, won't say like, talk about times he's been incredibly frustrated with their performance. Right. Um, so like, um, yeah, I mean, there's times it was extremely frustrating because like, ah, I'm better than this. Right. Um, but, uh, you just keep working and, and you kind of keep pushing through. And I, I think that's, what's, what's important is just keep pushing, right. Keep, pu- keep pushing yourself. Uh, and if you get dejected, you, you, you know, cause we did see people in pilot training that did that, right. They would kind of give up, they were struggling and, and the flip switched. Right. And they're like, ah, and, and those are the guys who didn't make it. Yeah. It's crazy. Can't imagine just like, I mean, everyone handles pressure differently. And when things kind of stack on top of each other, everyone, it's just really, really unfortunate. I've heard the military does a really good job at like 
trying to do everything they can. Because at that point, they've already invested so much money into you. They want this to work out. They really want you to be a pilot. So to, to actually fail out and to kind of go to other, other steps, it can be kind of dejecting for both sides because they don't want that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think the proof's in the pudding when you look at like uh, pass rates, right? So like, if you look at pass rates of, of the military, generally attrition out of, out of the pilot training ranges anywhere between 5 to 10% of people wash out, which is honestly extremely low when you're considering how hard you're pushing these people and what all they're going through and, and how complex it is. Um, and you compare that to the civilian world, where the civilian world, people who start their pilot's license, 80% of them don't get it. And of the 20% that do actually go through and get their pilot's license, it's like 60 or 70% never fly an airplane again, right? So uh, so you look at like the difference between the two and like the Air Force or the military in general, uh, it has incredibly high success rate, even though it's more demanding and it's hard, harder, you know, um, they have an incredibly high success rate. So they, they do a pretty good job of, of, of training. What was the most frustrating part for you? What was the part where you just wanted to not actually quit, but you're just like, what the heck? Like, come on, dude, why can't I get this? Um, dude, honestly, I think of everything, like all the way down, I think it was the, the instrument training in T6. Cause I had maybe 20 hours in the T6 and maybe 30 hours total. And we're jumping into instrument training and the instruments are just, was just a whole new world. Right. And I, uh, dude, it was, it was so, there's so much information it was just completely overwhelming, right? And then at the same time, we're trying to learn aerobatics and we're trying to learn formation. And we're trying to learn all these other things, right? And we're getting tested on all these other advanced things. And, uh, and it was just like, dude, there's so much information to learn uh, that it got pretty overwhelming. Uh, but fortunately, dude, we had a we had an awesome class. And, um, we had a guy in the, in the class who was a CFWI, and so we could really lean on him and he was awesome. Uh, really helped us out. Um, we all all kind of studied together, and so it really took that kind of group work to to get together on that. So you got twenty hours in a DA twenty, and then they give you a thousand horsepower Texan T six with a PT six, and then you go to T thirty eight after that. Yeah, so after about one hundred twenty hours or so in the T six, uh, generally you, you track select. So at other pilot training bases, you'll either go to helicopters or you'll go to T, you know, helicopters. If you're going to go to helicopters, obviously you'll go to what's called the T one, uh, which is like, a, uh, I think it's like a Beechcraft 400. Um, and you learn, um, that's if you're going to go to like heavy aircraft. So think in C one thirty, um, C 17s, um, KC one thirty fives, those type of airplanes. Uh, and then if you're going to go on a fighter bomber track, then you go to the T 38. Uh, and so based off class performance and what everybody wants, they kind of select who goes where, uh, for us at the in-jet training at the, the European, European, uh, joint jet training, uh, that everybody went from T6s to T38s. So, yeah, so we, we jumped after about 120, 125 hours from the T6 to, to T38. What was the biggest jump for you? Was it harder to go from the DA20 to the T6 or the T6 to the T38? For me, the DA-20 to the T-6 was way harder um, because I had no essay, I had no idea what instrument flying was, how to fly formation, what any aerobatic maneuvers were. I didn't know anything, right? And so it was all brand new and incredibly hard uh, for me. The transition from the T-6 to the T-38 was, was tough. I mean, things were faster, um, but we were doing all the same stuff, right? So all, all the basic premises were the same. You're just doing it twice as fast, right? Instead of doing it at 150 knots, now you're doing it at 350 knots, uh, right? So so everything was just faster. 
which I could keep up with. Right. So that's honestly, that's where I, the T38 did really well for me and, and kind of was the reason why I was able to eventually, uh, track select into a fighter because, uh, cause I could keep up with the extra speed. It was kind of that initial learning curve that was, that was really tough for me personally. But everybody's different, man. I can't imagine going from a DA20 <laughs> to a T6. Like, just think of it. Be, I mean, first of all, think of the instructor. Like, oh my gosh, RIP. That has to suck to be an initial instructor on <laughs> in the yeah, T6. Right. Yeah, like, oh boy, yeah. here we go. Like, you have to be a sick person to enjoy that job. I'm just going to have to say that right now. <laughs> well, dude, and what's crazy, so we have these things called FAPES, first assignment instructor pilots. And they're guys who graduate from pilot training. So, so dude, you go through T6s, you go through, say, the T38. And then instead of getting tracked to go to a C-17 or an F-22 or whatever, you get tracked like, to come back and be an instructor. So you've got like 200 hours, right? Two, just over 200 hours. And boom, you're now thrown into being an instructor in the T-6. Uh, now you have to go through some training, some uh, you know, pilot instructor training. But, uh, but yeah, you're, like, you're teaching these brand new kids and you've got like 200 hours in this like, you know, crazy complex airplane, you know, relatively speaking, uh, to the civilian world. Uh, dude, it's pretty, it's pretty full up. I guess if you know nothing different, you know, if the T6 is one of the faster planes you've flown, then maybe it works. But that just, it sounds like it could be a recipe for a disaster every once in a while. But hey, they're probably pretty good at picking this. They've been doing this for a while, so they know what they're doing, right? Dude, they've been doing it for a while. And honestly, they fly so much. And the safety record is really, really good, um, all considering, right? I mean, of course, things happen. Um, but when you look at the number of, like, of accidents per flight hour, it's, it's actually, it's really incredible. Have you ever had to eject? Uh, I have not, thankfully. So uh, I'll I'll give that uh, as testament. You know, a lot of my my F sixteen buddies who, who that's their primary airplane. You know, I've had several buddies who've had to eject out of that, but that's a single engine airplane. So um, you know, my primary airplane was F fifteen. That's what I got out of pilot training. So uh, so that's a two engine airplane, super redundant, super reliable airplane. Uh, and I've had some things go wrong in it, but never anything bad enough that I had to eject. That's crazy. Man, yeah, can you imagine just like going for beers? Like, what'd you do today? Uh, well, I just had to eject out of my airplane. But what? <laughs> Dude, I've got some. St- I've got some buddies with some crazy ass stories that have to eject. We'll have to talk a minute coming on the podcast one day. I'll have to pay them. We'll have to start a fund. <laughs> yeah, right. In your line of work, you rely on precision planning, trusted resources, and experience each day, and that's just what RAA brings to financial planning. Having served thousands of pilots for three decades, they understand how important planning for the future is to your career livelihood, and family. That's why RAA offers free consultations with financial advisors who know pilots and can answer your most pressing questions, provide personalized guidance on the key areas you need to address now, and deliver actionable next steps to help keep your plan on course. Most importantly, you'll have a clear picture of your current financial life and a partner you can trust to help you achieve your financial goals. Meet with an RAA financial advisor specializing in your airline for free consultation today at raa.com backslash pilot to pilot. That's pilot to pilot. And remember, in life, there are passengers and pilots. We, RAA, proudly serve pilots. Um, so what was, so now you're flying the T-38 or you're getting ready to go that track. What was your end goal? Was it always fighters? Was it like my career has to be fighters or won't be satisfied? Or did you have a couple options? Dude, I, I think that we kind of with the same uh, aspect and the, the, the approach of, of humility is, is really important, right? So, like, I went in wanting fighters, right? And all throughout pilot training, I wanted fighters. But I also was going to be happy with whatever I got, right? I also kind of kept my mind tuned 
that, you know, if I'm flying a C-130, I'm going to freaking be the best C-130 pilot in the world and I'm going to love it, right? And I'm going to really immerse myself in it and, and, and be really, really, really good at it and love what I do. So, um, yeah, I wanted fighters, but I was ready for, for whatever. That's easier said than done. You know, disappointment and your ego can get in the way and kind of understanding, uh, especially in the military, it's like you're not here for yourself. You're here for the bigger goal. You're here to serve the country. You're here to kind of do a bigger part in the world. That's that's a not an easy outlook to have on it. And even if you have that outlook, sometimes it's harder to actually apply to your life when you do get that disappointment, you know? So that's that's a good way to look at it though. Well, and to me, it was it was just kind of keeping that mindset of like, dude, nothing's going to be a disappointment, right? I'm going to fly a C-17. I don't even know what a C-17 is, right? $100 million. It's like, dude, I'm flying a $100 million uh, airplane doing some awesome stuff. I've got a HUD. Like we're flying around, like we're doing, you know, landing on short fields, dropping guys out the back, like doing all kinds of crazy stuff, right? Like that doesn't suck, right? No, like, not at so all. I think I just had to keep everything in, you just got to keep everything in check of like, it doesn't matter what you get, like you're in a great spot and it doesn't matter what you get. Like everything is awesome, right? Like not, not to quote the Lego movie, but like all of your options are like freaking sweet, you know, like there's no bad options from here. What, uh, so T-38, F-15, then what? Uh, T-38, then the F-15. So took the F-15. I flew uh, stationed up Okinawa, Japan, uh, which is about 200 island, about 200 miles south of mainland Japan. Uh, Stationed there for three years, but only spent about half my time on the island because we wound up going to doing, you know, TDYs and deployments to uh, places uh, all over the world. How long do you, how long would you say you're in the F-15 before you went on your next airplane? Uh, so I was in the F-15 for three years and then I went back to Texas to go teach, uh, what's called fighter fundamentals in the, uh, in the T-38. And then when you were teaching fighter fundamentals, were you working on like a, was your goal greater? Like, were you working to get another opportunity or were you kind of just, uh, along for the ride and kind of waiting out opportunities to see what came next? Uh, I mean, both, right. And like you seek out the opportunities as well as, uh, you know, so I was putting my applications into things, um, as well as just kind of trying to do what I, you know, doing the best at the job that I had currently, uh, to, you know, do as good for the organization that, that I'm a part of, uh, as well as, you know, hopefully doing a good job so that I can get set up to, to do other good things later on. So, um, so from that assignment, I got selected to go fly Eagles, uh, in Eagles again, back in England. Uh, and then from there got picked up for the Thunderbirds and then flew to Las, uh, went, moved back to Las Vegas to, uh, to go fly the F6, learn, learn to fly the F-16 and go fly for the Thunderbirds. One thing I'm learning from just the, the brief conversation is that you better be prepared to move around a lot and not have a lot <laughs> yeah. of constant. Cause it sounds like every, you're just like, well, then I did this, then I moved here, then I moved there. Then I did this, 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 and this, like, there's no, like, it's not like an air, airline or a corporate. It's like, oh, I've flown the latitude for 15 years. You know, it's like <laughs> you're constantly uh, changing, improving, and doing new things. Yeah, the military likes to move around. So as an officer, you can expect that you're going to move about every three years. Um, now, that will change depending upon if you go to school or you, you do different things later on in your career. Kind of as you, as you progress later on in your career, that actually decreases. So like once you start to become like lieutenant colonel to colonel, now you're moving around about every one to two years. But generally, uh, at the beginning of your career, you're moving about once every three years is kind of the standard flow. How does that work like mentality, especially with a family? Is that something easy that everyone can kind of pick up on? Or is it just something you all have to deal with? And it's just kind of a, a, just part of being in the military. 
Uh, dude, it totally depends on on the, the individual. You know what I mean? Like some people, that is like the worst thing in the world, right? To have to move uh, every couple of years. Other people love it, right? Like my wife and I, about every three years, we start looking around and be like, all right, we've seen this place. We've seen all there is to be had here. Like, and you kind of start to get a little restless, right? You kind of start to be like, all right, well, what's next? You know what I mean? Like, what's the next adventure? But that's our personality. Um, you know, for other people, like the concept of moving is is just extreme. And it, it's stressful no matter if you are looking forward to it or not, right? I mean, to say that it's easy, it's would it be true. But, um, but, but yeah, kind of that, that totally depends on who you are and, and how you approach it. Going back to the F-15 was uh, going to that kind of, it's more advanced than the T-38. Uh, like I said, I don't know too much, but is it more advanced than the T-38? Is it like a, a huge step up, like a DA-20 to uh, the T-38 or to the T-6? Or is it uh, a little bit less of a, a crazy step up? It is a crazy step up. Um, <laughs> right, cool. That's what yeah, I thought, but I, mean, I didn't know. I don't yeah, want to sound like an idiot. No, you're dealing with the T-38, which is a trainer built in the 60s. Um, I mean, it's got what, I think 33,000 pounds of thrust on each engine, 3,400 pounds or something like that, which, okay. All right. Uh, touche. But then you jump into the Eagle and you're like, all right, well now you got like 30,000 pounds of thrust in each engine. Right. So <laughs> you're dealing with just a completely different machine, right? You're getting a 50,000 feet and you're going Mach 2.0. Um, you're, it's, it's just, it is, you know, you're, you're flying an airplane that has a a shoot down record. It shot down 104 aircraft in its history and it's never been shot down. Right. I mean, you're talking about the world's uh, greatest air superior fighter of all time. Uh, so yeah, it's a huge, it was a huge jump up. Um, and I, I loved every minute of it. What was it like strapping up in that for the first time? Like knowing what you had underneath and the power and just how, how quick you could climb, just how, how you could do everything. What was the first flight like? Uh, well, the first flight, it's terrifying, right? Because you're it's your first flight, right? And you don't want to screw anything up. You don't want to break anything. And that's just like it's like anytime you jump into a new airplane, you're like you're so hyper focused on like not screwing up. It's really hard to like take a step back and really enjoy it. Uh, it's not until you get a lot of airmanship in it that you're like, all right, I'm actually having fun with this. You know what I mean? Uh, but no, I mean it was it was awesome. The the acceleration is crazy. The handling was awesome. The first flight they take you up and you do aircraft handling, so you see kind of the the, the capabilities, right? You get a super slow, you stall it, you get going super fast, you pull lots of G's. Uh, you just kind of, you kind of run the airplane around just to get familiar with it. Uh, and then, you know, boom, now you're learning, now you're dog fighting, right? You're, you're fighting against another one and then you're doing beyond visual range stuff. And now you're going four aircraft against eight aircraft and trying to work your tactics to, to make sure that you're, you're surviving and, and, and killing the bad guys. So, um, you, you escalate yourself up pretty quick and, uh, dude, it's, it's, it's an awesome airplane. It's crazy talking about dog fighting because to me, outside of the military dog fighting almost seems like something that is in the past. And I don't know if that's like a, a future wars of dog fighting is really still going to be there. Would you agree with that? Is has, as aerial fighting, has that progressed to a point with like the F 35 and the F 22 where dog fighting might not be, uh, kind of what it was. Um, dude, uh, honestly, that's a, that's a tough, like philosophical question. I, I don't think it's gone. Uh, and, and here's, here's why is that, um, I mean, they've been saying it's gone since the seventies, right? I mean, the F4 was designed without a gun. It was like, we don't need to go anymore. Right. And they realized that was a huge mistake. Yeah, um, take a gun, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like to strap one on the bottom, we'll just use it. So, um, yeah, so, so they've been saying that for a long time. Uh, but the fact is it's still happening. Uh, yes, we have missiles that can shoot a really long range, uh, beyond, you know, well beyond visual range, uh, and take out bad guys. But the problem is you, 
you're you're working in a real world environment, right? You've got the fog of war. You've got rules of engagement, right? Sometimes you have to see what that is, right? Sometimes you have to see a hostile act. Sometimes you have to see whatever, right? And and you know, we were we were doing missions over the Gulf, uh, and and our ROEs were set up such that like, dude, we we can't shoot beyond visual range, right? We're gonna be turning with these aircraft, uh, and 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 that's what you have to do because of you know, political reasons and, and things like that, right? You can't just go be shooting down other aircraft, right? Um, so so that is the case, right? And then now you're dealing with stealth technology. So you talk about the F-22 and F-35, and yeah, they're way more advanced. But you know who who takes closer shots from a fighter perspective than anybody else? Well, it's the F-22. Because that dude can sneak in, get close, take a pop shot, right? Take an assassin shot right to the back of the head and, and take him out. Um, and he doesn't need to take those BBR shots because he can hide because he's stealth, right? So. But if the guy sees them behind him, boom, now they're in a dogfight, right? So um, I don't I don't think it's gone and I don't think it's going away, right? Maybe future future wars when fighter pilots are in a thing and and you're dealing with just like swarms of drones or whatever the future holds. Okay, sure, maybe, maybe then. Um, but as long as you've got people in the cockpit, I, I think that need for basic dogfighting understanding uh, and proficiency is is critically important if you're gonna be in the air-to-air world. Oh, I would agree. I mean, I agree with that for sure. It's it's so dogfighting to me. I mean, I would imagine most pilots is like the coolest thing in the world. Like just to think about and and being trained to do that has to be just very difficult. And it's almost like a sport. It's like a craft. And I know it sounds very morbid, like your craft is to eventually like shoot someone down. But it's it's a. I feel like it's very much a skill, right? Like a learned skill, and someone can be significantly better at it. Is that true, or is it something that you can train anyone to do? Uh, no, it, it's true that some people can definitely be better than others. And, and yeah, you can train, you can train. I mean, most people who have gotten to fighters, there's a lot of, uh, as we've talked about already, there's a lot of cuts that they go through, right? So you're already, so somebody who goes into fighters already gone through six or seven cuts of, to, of the best of the best to get to that point. So, so they're already pretty good, right? So anybody who gets into fighters, most of those guys, you can teach how to dog fight. Uh, and that's what I did in the T-38 for a while was, was teaching those guys how to dogfight. And if they couldn't learn, then, then they get washed out uh, before you send them on to their big fighters like the F-15 or the F-22 or the F-16 or whatever the case may be. Um, so you can train most of them. Now, that said, some are better than others, right? Just like anything else, right? You can train a lot of people to drive a race car. Well, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be an outstanding race car driver. You know what I mean? Um, some are going to be better than others. All can get around the track, but... There's there's definitely an appreciable skill um, that that some people have over others. What if you? I mean, you have some experience in this. What would you say is one of the? If someone listening to this wants to be the best fighter pilot or best pilot, whatever it is, uh, down the military, what's like one skill that would really help them out, or something that they could work on, or what sets some people apart? Is it just anticipation? Is it just kind of like God given talent, or is it uh, just ways that they worked harder? Um, dude. I, <laughs> I mean, I think that, yeah, there is a certain level of it that like some people are just going to naturally, some people are naturally better athletes than others. Right. But I think that by and large, most of it is your ability to take feedback. Right. So, um, that's one thing that that we push pretty hard in the fighter pack community is like humbleness. Right. And, um, when we sit in a debrief, like the rank comes off, we're, we're truly sitting down to see like, what was good maneuvers? What was bad maneuvers? What went well? what, What could go better? Um, and having the ability to kind of sit back and accept that, Hey, you may not have done as well as you thought you did. Uh, and here's how you get better. Or even if you did well, here's how you can get better. Um, it's not, it's not 
how well you did on that sortie. It's, it's what did you learn from that sortie so that you can get better in the next flight. Um, and I think that's the key is those guys who can kind of humble themselves and learn from other people with just as much or more experience. Um, they can't, or even less, right. Depending, you know, there's times that, that I've, uh, learned lessons from guys who are, who are less experienced than me. Um, and we all have something to bring to the table. And so, uh, so staying, staying humble and, 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 and listening, uh, and continuously learning, not being happy with where you're at, but continuously learning, I think is what kind of makes and breaks, uh, like people who are just naturally good pilots to people who are naturally good pilots and phenomenal at what they do because they, they're constantly learning. Yeah. And it, you're not humble. Eventually you will be humbled in my experience. Uh, this is just kind of my athletic experience and I'm guessing it kind of carries over to the most parts in life, but eventually there's me a day where your true skill is uh, gonna come up and fail you eventually, and you're gonna get humbled pretty quickly. And I'm guessing there's that's very similar in the the fighter pilot world too. Yeah, there's no there's no like there's no hiding it, right? <laughs> like you can't if you get if you get gunned, uh, you know, in a simulated dogfight, like there's no hiding that. You get the tape debrief, and like you're dead. You know what I mean? So, um, so it's it's very matter of fact whether or not you did well. Now, you don't have to go into detail about this. I'm not trying to get you in trouble or anything, but has there ever been a moment where you're flying in some country, whatever it may be, and all you thought you were actually going to get in a dogfight or things were getting escalating to a point where you thought you were starting World War III or you're going to start some conflict? Um, or has it been not, not I don't want to say chill, but like you haven't necessarily thought World War III was right around the corner? <laughs> um, yeah, so... Yeah, there was once, uh, there was one, one deployment we had that, uh, things were really tense, uh, with, uh, a country just North of the Persian Gulf. And it was really, really tense. And we were flying a lot of missions there with, with live ordinance and, um, it w- and they were doing not good things and, uh, it got real tense. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those weird balances where you don't want to, you don't want to be the guy who starts World War Three, right? You don't want to be the guy who like makes makes worldwide news or or, or starts starts an escalation or something. But at the same time, you don't want to be the guy that gets shot down. So, um, so yeah, there was there was some um, some tense moments. That's gonna be the but, title of this podcast. You, know, you don't want to be the guy that starts World War Three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know that happened a lot uh, in, in in Syria as well, right? A lot of guys flying in Syria, and there's a lot of airplanes from a lot of different countries flying around. And not everybody likes each other, and it was tense, right? I've I've heard stories of a bunch of my buddies, and uh, have gone through that, and their stories are crazy, man. And I, I, you know, hopefully, you know, one day those will be uh, declassified and people can talk about because the, you know, with your finger on the pickle button, ready to ready to take somebody down because they're acting hostile, but not wanting to start World War Three, but not wanting to get shot down is is a tough balance to to hold. Uh, I guess I don't even know how much you go into this too, but it's just a question that came to my mind is, is that a shot you're getting shot at that you can respond or how many like levels of approval do you have to go before you can, yes, actually like take it in your own hands? Cause obviously you're the only one in the airplane. You don't know the inherent danger. You're the only one that really under- truly understands what's going on. Is that kind of like you with the freedom to make that decision or is it like, Hey boss, uh, can I do this? And then he's like, hang on, I got to call my boss. He's got to call his boss. Like, is that a, a pretty lengthy process? It depends on the situation. So if you're dealing with an air-to-air situation, yeah, decentralized control is the key, man. So ultimately, it's up to the dude in the cockpit to make make the right call. Um, now, there are rules of engagement that they have to follow, right? And there are certain things that can be declared as a hostile act. And 
uh, you know, and, and depending upon the tense, how tense things are or the threat or, or whatever the case may be, will change the rules of engagement. Um, so, so your ability, so you have to be really smart about what the rules of engagement are. Um, now, if you're talking about an air to ground target, now that's a lot different, right? You're, you're not dealing with a situation in which uh, the pilot necessarily has to make the decision immediately. And so, um, as you know, throughout our wars, there's been uh, different ROEs on on at what level of authority things have to to be made to to drop something. But in an air to air world, there's no time for um, there's no time to call the general like, hey, this guy's shooting at me. Can I shoot back? Uh, you just don't have you don't have time for that. It's like, hey, let's get the president on the line real quick. <laughs> right. Oh, he's busy. Fly around for a couple more minutes. Figure it out. Right. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a whole different world, man. It's just crazy to think that we can just be out like barbecuing and enjoying July 4th. And then <laughs> little do you know, it's like people are literally making life or death situations that can affect so many people. And, and it could just change in a split second. It's just insane. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. <laughs> Wild. Um, all right. So let's get off that subject. What? So Thunderbirds, was uh, this kind of yeah. a, a back of the mind goal of yours? Like, is it like a... Uh, Something you always wanted to do was it just you find yourself in a situation where it's like, hey, someone's like, dude, you should actually apply. Like, I think you'll be competitive. Um, dude, honestly, like, so for me, it was just like, I love aviation, right? Like, as we've talked about, like, aviation has done so much for me. And like, it's been in the Air Force a lot for me and, and just the aviation world as a whole. And so, you know, I knew that the mission of Thunderbirds was to kind of be that voice for, for aviation, for the Air Force and for um, and I just thought that I would be so cool. Like, I really enjoy, you know, talking to you, Justin and, and things like this, and, um, you know, outreach however I can to, to spread that love of aviation and, um, and, and talk about it. Cause I think I'm a nerd about it and I think it's freaking awesome. So, um, so yeah, dude, I just, I just applied and kept applying, kept applying until they eventually were like, all right, fine. You can <laughs> you won't stop applying. Let's just give them a slot. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, well, well, what's the application yeah. process like? I'm guessing it's not just a standard, hey, fill out this online and write a 500-word essay. It's like, we need your uh, recommendations from your leaders, from from multiple people have to recommend you, I'm guessing. It's, or is it pretty simple? And anyone can just kind of like, oh, cool, let's uh, let's do this. That's a fairly lengthy application. So you you write a, you write a letter of what you want to do. You put your resumes together. You get... Well, like you said, letters of recommendations from your, your supervisor, and I think like five. The total there's a total of like five letters of recommendations you get, um, and all that is really just to to kind of narrow it. You know, obviously your flying records and all that stuff, um, and all that's really just to kind of get you out to the interview. Um, once you get out to the interview, now they're looking at like, all right, well, is this something somebody that we can live on the road with for two hundred days a year? Is this somebody that uh, will be a good, you know, represent representative for, uh, the air force. And, you know, can this person speak without stepping all over himself? And, um, and, and is this, you know, is this is person that the person that can fly and accept, you know, criticism and debrief because, because it's challenging, it's hard flying. And, uh, and, and it's humbling when you start. Uh, and so is this somebody that's going to be able to handle that or, uh, but you have to keep pushing yourself because if you don't, you're just going to fly super wide and look like crap all the time. So, um, so you, so it's, it's frustrating, but you have to keep pushing. So, you know, is this somebody that's going to do that? And, um, yeah. So, uh, so they bring you out, you basically spend an entire weekend with them when they're doing a, a show. Um, and you know, you, you have some social events with them, uh, and then you kind of make sure that it's something that you want to do and something that, that, you know, 
they think that you'd be a good role in. Um, and then you go through a couple rounds of that and then they make their call. What was it like getting the call being like, Hey Trevor, we're, we're excited. We're, we were excited to have you be a part of the Thunderbirds. If this is something you want to do, or are you just like freaking out? Like, was it the great, one of the greatest moments of your life or you're like, yeah, sick. So let's go do it. Yeah, dude, it was, it was awesome. I was super stoked about it. I've talked about this a couple times before, but yeah, I mean, I had, uh, we had moved to England. We'd just been there for like three months. We'd just gotten everything unpacked. Um, we'd like bought cars over there. We had, you know, just gotten all of our household goods shipped over on a boat. We paid all our British taxes because there's a lot of them. And we had, you know what I mean? Like we had done everything. We had just gotten settled and, uh, I'd gotten the call and I, I, I was out, I was out walking with my, uh, my oldest son, uh, and came in the house. My wife was like, Hey, I gotta show you something. And went down to the cellar and she had just unpacked the last box. Like we, it was like the, the significant moment that like, we have finally, after like six months of doing this crap, like we have finally settled, like we're home. And she's like, look, it's done. And I had just gotten a call like two minutes before. I was like, babe, I got some good news and I got some bad news. <laughs> so we packed everything up and left our quaint little British town for, uh, for Sim City. That's crazy. Was she like, are you freaking? Like, she was obviously probably excited, but she's like, you got to be kidding me. The timing on this is just wild. <laughs> the, timing, the timing was crazy. I mean, she was, once again, it was, you know, took a big breath. And it's like, all right, let's do it, you know. And and you know, credit kudos to her. She's she's a phenomenal woman. So uh, she took all the strides. So we packed everything up and we moved. You know, we had two. We have two boys, and um, they were both under the age of three. And so we packed them up and moved across the moved across the country, moved across the world. Yeah. Uh, Again, so you've done a lot of training in the Air Force. You have done a lot of airplanes, gone through a lot of programs. What sets training for the Thunderbirds apart? What sets kind of what you, your next step apart from everything you did? Or was it more the same? Was it just the same type of training? It was just kind of a, a different way of flying. Uh, honestly, it's just a different way of flying. So, so a lot of the things we do in the Thunderbird is not that different than what we learned in pilot training, right? I mean, in pilot training, we learned how to in formation do, you know, you know, to, uh, clover loops in formation. We learned how to do loops in formation. We learned how to do rolls in formation, all this stuff, right? Um, the Thunderbird just, just taught a lot of those same principles, but in a higher performance aircraft and way closer together. Um, so yeah, so that's what we, um, so that's what we did is we just had to learn how to, how to do it and how to do it much closer. The big thing that was a big challenge, I think for me being in, in the, the diamond, which is the four aircraft that are, that are kind of flying around is it, I had never flown the F-16 before. Um, and it's a very different airplane than the F-15. Uh, and so, in the fact that like, it's a fly-by-wire. Uh, so you, you, the stick, the control stick that you use is a side stick. Uh, it's not a center stick like it is in the F-15. And, and this is like the first generation of fly-by-wire. So, uh, the stick doesn't really move. Um, so you're, you're like putting pressure on the stick to go up, down, left and right, uh, sending a signal to a computer and the computer's moving the flight controls to make sense. Uh, and not having really flown the F-16 was, uh, was a, was challenging to, to kind of learn how to do that and how to, how to perform at such a high level, uh, so quickly in a brand new airplane that I had never flown before. When you got selected, is there like an A team, a B team, a C team and you work your way up or is it, uh, all right, we selected these select few and here's training. And in six months you all have to fly this airplane to the same capability and do this or else you're out. Yeah. The the second one. Uh, and there's no, there's no, you're out. I mean, um, 
the thing about the team is there's there, everybody's one person deep, right? So the the le- the right wingman number three, there is one number three. There's nobody sitting in the shadows waiting to jump in. There's no uh, understudy, right? I mean, that's it. So um, so you get selected for the team, and like you're just that person on that team, and that's it. You're you're one person deep, so you you gotta figure it out. Were you the only one without F sixteen uh, experience? Uh, so they, they bring people in from, from different backgrounds. Uh, they want to, they want to get people from different experience. Uh, the year that I was selected, there's three of us. Uh, one guy's an F-16 guy. I was an F-15 guy. Uh, and then there's F-22 guy that were selected. So we all, uh, we all joined the team at the same time. Which airplane do you think set you up better for that? Obviously if you flew the F-16, that helps, but outside of that, like, or I guess the better question is which one is harder to make the transition to the F-16? Is it coming from a non flyby wear aircraft or is it coming from a, a super stealthy, crazy F-22? Uh, dude, I don't like, it kind of depends on what aspect you're talking about. Right. So like if you're coming from the A-10, you're used to going a little bit slower. And so the F-16 is a lot faster. And so you got to deal with the speed. If you're coming from the F-15, well, now you, you, you've never flown a fly-by-wire airplane, and so you've kind of got to get used to that. If you're coming from an F-22, that thing, like, never flies in close formation. So uh, if you wind up putting, you know, so you've got to get used to how to fly super close to another airplane again, right? So um, every airplane, ha- and, you know, so every every airplane kind of has its own uh, unique challenge, right? If you're coming from the strike, you go, well, well shoot, you have no whizzo in the back seat changing all your radio frequencies. <laughs> I got to hit that button with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it totally just depends on, on what you're coming from, what, what challenge you're going to face when you, when you transition. I think the hardest part for me, I've never flown formation, but for me, looking out my window and seeing a plane that close to me and trusting that they're going to do everything they're supposed to do, I'd be like, uh, you're good, right? Like I saw you drinking the other night, like you're, you're good, right? Like, come on. Like that would freak me out seeing the many planes so close and pulling those, those G's and the maneuvers that you're doing. That's crazy. Tons of trust, but dude, it's it's not like a binary thing. It's not like you're just flying airplanes all of a sudden now you're like 18 inches away from the airplane at 500 knots and loops down to 300 feet, right? Like that's not that's not the way it is, right? Like you learn those skills in pilot training, right? Like you learn those skills day one in the military. And so all you're doing is just expanding on that, right? And you're just doing it at a at an iteratively higher level um, until you get to where you're you're doing demonstrations in front of Two hundred thousand people. What was your experience like with the Thunderbirds? Uh, was it everything you thought it was going to be? Was it uh, different, or um, kind of just like I said, on par with what you thought it was going to be? Um, dude, there's pros and cons to it. Uh, I mean, it, you're you're gone a lot. Um, the uh, the trust level, like I said, super high. Um, the flying is is as challenging as I thought it would be. Um, but honestly, like I like I said, the thing the thing I loved about it most was just the interaction with people, right. Talking, talking to people like you talking to, talking to high schoolers who were like, Hey, I want to go to, you know, I, I'd like to fly it. How do I do that? Right. Like, and you'd be like, all right, well, here's, there's a lot of misnomers out there. Here's how you can kind of do that kind of stuff. Right. Um, you know, seeing, seeing people get excited about, um, about aviation. Right. That's, that's what I really enjoyed about it. Yeah. And it, you truly are kind of like the face of the air forces. Like I, Pretty much like everyone thinks of the Thunderbirds, at least I do, when you think of flying in the Air Force. Uh, do they train you uh, with the media how to talk or is it kind of just you figure it out and you, you just kind of go from there? Yeah, there's some training, some like mock trials that you run through to make sure, you know, to help. And honestly, like I, I for a, a long time, like hate public speaking. Like I really enjoy these like one-on-ones, uh, but public speaking is like always 
rough. Like, you know, you get the sweaty, sweaty palms and you get nervous and heart rate goes up and all, all that stuff. But, um, you just, by doing it, you, you get used to it, right? Your body doesn't get as scared cause you've done it before. And so, um, yeah, they did some pretty good training to like get you kind of used to it. And then just by nature of the job, you kind of have to. So, uh, so that was good. What was one thing about being in Thunderbirds that kind of caught you off guard that you weren't expecting? Was it the, the media aspect of it? Was it, uh, the brotherhood of it, um, fraternity of it, or kind of what caught you off guard or something that you weren't expecting? Um, I, you know, honestly, I think it was the politics of it. Um, not to, not to air dirty line or anything like that, but I think it's just like, um, you know, you're because the Thunderbirds are the face of the, of the air force. Um, there's a lot of things that are, um, really important to a lot of generals to make sure that don't, don't go wrong. Uh, and, seeing how that played out in some of the things that went down, uh, was, was interesting, but, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was probably it. Yeah. I mean, politics is a, is a big role in a lot of things. And I would assume when you were the face of one of our military <laughs> units, it is going to play a role there as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What was um, your, what was your favorite overall part of, uh, let's just, yeah, let's go with Thunderbirds. What was your, like your one all time moment? Like, when you finally realize like, this is sick. I am on the Thunderbirds and this is really cool. Uh, dude, it took a long time to like get through that imposter syndrome. You're like, why am I here? You know? Um, but I would say the moment that like, for me was the craziest was, um, we were flying over New York. Uh, this is just a couple, you know, this is maybe a month after COVID had started. We're flying over New York, uh, city at like 500 feet. We've got, you know, I'm looking right because I'm I'm number two. So I'm looking right through the Thunderbird formation. We're passing uh, the Empire State Building and the World Trade Center, you know, the Freedom Tower and all these things. and um, Just, you know, these incredible iconic things. And and we're flying over all these hospitals saying thank you to the frontline workers. And as as I'm looking, seeing these like iconic buildings pass by, like, like in my line of sight rate is the Blue Angels, right? They're flying just off our right wing. Uh, and like flying down, seeing that, you know, that same day we went down or, and we went and saw, uh, we went to Washington DC. So it was the same thing, right. And we saw the Washington monument and, and the Capitol and the white house and all that stuff, and, uh, the Pentagon and, uh, you know, flying over airports like BWI at 500 feet because nobody's flying airplanes because COVID shut everything down. Like just things that had never been done before, uh, and getting to, to say, thank you to frontline workers and like, let everybody know. when when it was kind of a tense time, they're like, dude, like guys, like as a country, like we've got this, we got to get through this. We'll, we'll, we'll get through this together. Uh, that was, that was definitely the highlight of, of the assignment. Yeah. That's really cool. That was yeah, definitely a strange time to be in the Thunderbirds. Probably it's not your standard, uh, Thunderbird, Thunderbird flying and something that's really never been done before. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, uh, it was challenging, you know, flying six aircraft at 500 feet over, over big cities. Uh, is pretty tough to do, but then you take another six aircraft that are flying in close formation and have them fly in formation with another six aircraft of 500 feet over major cities. That was uh, that was challenging to figure out how to do that that safely, and it was really really cool that uh, both teams came together to to make that happen. I heard those days and flights were very very long. It wasn't like you're going to stay in that city and go get in a hotel. It was you fly from base to there and then fly back, right? Yeah, those are stupid. All those American strong stories were stupid long stories because, I mean, we were trying to prevent the spread of COVID, right? So the way that we were doing that is we had a little pod. So the Thunderbird Blue Angels were a pod. Um, and we would fly from Pensacola to New York 
um, you know, with tankers along the way, not landing. We'd do our low level in New York. We'd get gas. We'd finish the low level in New York. We'd pop up. We'd go to Philly. We'd do our low level over Philly. We'd pop up. We'd go to right um, Boston. We'd do our low level over Boston. We'd pop up and we'd come home. Uh, and you know, eight nine hours later, um, flying that close formation was uh, was it was challenging. It was tough. It was physically draining. You would be in the airplane for eight or nine hours without a, without yeah. a break. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing it's pretty cramped in, a, in an F-16. You're guessing it's not like you can it, it get is. up and go to well, you don't. You don't want to have to take a poop. You got to make sure you schedule that one pretty well. Jeez. <laughs> what did you but guys no, do for food? Like, you just brought you, like protein bars and bring, you had something to eat? Exactly. You bring protein bars. You bring, make sure you bring water. Um, and uh, and when you're on the tanker or something like that, you get a chance to, to get some calories in you real quick before we're going again. This is a dumb question. Uh, is there an autopilot? Like, can you just put the autopilot on when you're in cruise or is it just constantly always flying? Not really when you're in formation. Um, I mean, there is a, there's a, like an altitude hold, um, but that's it. Um, I mean, you're still, there's no auto throttle, you know, you're still controlling the throttles. You're still choosing where you're going to point the airplane and stuff like that. But um, so you get a little bit of, of a reprieve, but that's only if you're in VMC, right? If you're in IMC, well, dude, you're just in formation the whole time. So, because um, you got to stay with you got to stay within visual range, depending upon how thick the clouds are. Like when we did our trip over Colorado, like dude, the weather was just socked in. So that whole like eight hours, we were not in close formation for like probably forty five minutes of the eight hours. Um, so it was it was brutal. That's crazy. What's it like flying formation in IMC? Uh, not that big of a deal. Just don't yeah. get too far away from the, the lead <laughs> aircraft. <laughs> I'm guessing that's pretty much how formation works, right? Don't get too far away from the lead aircraft at any time and it'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what formation you want to be in because different formations require you. Right? Some formations you're three feet away, some formations you're a mile and a half away. So it just totally depends on, on what the formation is. But um, yeah, when you're in IMC, but dude, once again, that's not a Thunderbird thing. That, that's taught day one of pilot training, right? When you're in the T6s flying formation, like you go through weather. And when you go through weather, you got to see as you go through or you got to go lost wingman. So, um, which is a, you know, special procedure that we have if you lose visual in, uh, in, in BMC or in IMC. So, um, so that's a day one type thing for, for military pilots. That's crazy. Just think about, it. I mean, as a civilian pilot and you're flying IFR alone, like getting beat up in some thunderstorms and you can just imagine having like four airplanes on your wing. <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> Yeah, the good thing is, is whatever beats up on the the lead aircraft generally beats up on all the aircraft on his wing as well at the That's same true. same level, right? So if one, the lead guy drops uh, from turbulence or whatever, like generally everybody else's as well. Yeah, that's very very true. Uh, yeah, I feel like we could have a whole other podcast just on formation flying and kind of like specific to military. We've been going for about an hour and we did laugh earlier about how you've been on a podcast before and every single time you say, hey, I'll be about an hour. And it's like, <laughs> oh, here's two hours later. So I don't want it to turn right. into that. But I got a couple more questions. Kind of uh, the Thunderbirds, just a great experience. Um, was that the greatest honor of your career? Was that kind of like the coolest thing you've ever done and something you look back on and you'll be very proud of? Or would you or even, or would you just kind of rank it in together with just as your journey in the Air Force and just you lump it all together and just kind of think of it as like that or do you very specifically like very much so like love the fact that you're a thunderbird and very proud of that i mean i'm very proud of it but but no i no more than i am and i think anything else that that um i had the opportunity to do in the air force right like you know as a as a t-38 instructor uh you know for a little bit i was a flight commander uh and i had you know small classes of like eight to 12 students that would come through and right they're going to all different airplanes 
and they're flying, you know, the, anything between the A-10, the F-22 or the Eurofighter because we had Europeans in there. And, you know, I got to be their flight commander for a little while and, and help kind of form and mold that like elemental foundation of like what it means to be a fighter pilot. And then to see those guys like move on and be crushing it in, in the active duty, like, you know, with everything that they're doing and seeing all the success they do is super rewarding. So, um, yeah, I mean, being a Thunderbird was sweet, but at the same time, like all the other stuff, uh, like, it's not like that was it, you know what I mean? Like all the other stuff was, uh, was meant a lot. So Thunderbirds was most recent and now you are in the reserves and you are flying a pretty sweet corporate jet. What, were you constantly thinking of an end game, a way out, or was it just kind of like, oh, I'll take it as it goes year by year once you, your time commitment ran out? Or were you kind of constantly like uh, applying to majors, applying to all these other places, or did you just see how it went? Honestly, dude, like I, I'm pretty terrible about forecasting game plans. And so um, when the Thunderbirds ended, uh, my forecast was to be moving a bunch and, and uh, like four times in four years type thing. And, uh, we have two boys that are, that are about to start school and I don't know, it was just, uh, we had to make a decision and, uh, no, I wasn't, I didn't have my apps anywhere. I wasn't really doing anything. I just kind of made the decision like, Hey, I think we're going to get out of the air force. Um, and, and a door opened and, and I, I, I ran through it. So, um, yeah, so, so it's, so it's nice now getting to, um, I'm actually not in the reserves quite yet. I'm going to start, uh, the reserves here in about uh, a month. Um, and then yeah, flying, flying a, a pretty nice, uh, corporate airplane and then, um, getting to do a lot of really awesome general aviation flying as well as, you know, um, aerobatic competitions and things like that. So yeah, you mentioned um, a little bit of aerobatics. What's uh, is that like something you're very passionate about and you want to make a real big kind of, uh, move in and try to make a name for yourself or is it kind of like you said earlier, kind of just seeing how things go and kind of go with the flow? Uh, I mean, I'm going with the flow and kind of seeing what opportunities, uh, open up, but yeah, I mean, aerobatics are something I love, right? I think that, uh, I think that competitive, uh, uh, competition aerobatics are, are fun. I, I really enjoy it. And so, uh, so I did, I did my first one uh, about a month ago and I got another one coming up here in a couple of weeks. And, uh, I'm just going to keep, keep doing that and, and see how it goes and, uh, and enjoy it. Right. And I think ultimately I just, I want to fly, I want to fly everything I can. Uh, and I just, uh, I'm going to keep, keep enjoying it once at a time. We'll see where it takes me. I have one question about aerobatics coming from yeah. an F-16, F-15, these crazy cool airplanes. Did you think yeah. like, oh, this will be super simple. I'll get an extra and I'm going to be able to do whatever I want with this airplane. Or were you pretty humbled by the fact that it's much different and every airplane's different and, and acts differently? Uh, dude, I think I, 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 I by no means, uh, had any, uh, grandiose ideas that I was going to stop, step in and be a a Rob Holland or a Mike Gulland or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like I had no grandiose ideas that that was, that was going to be the case. And, uh, even with that, when I stepped in, you know, I've, I've been flying, uh, the game bird, which is, um, it's kind of like an extra three thirty, but you know, arguably better. Um, and, uh, so I've been fortunate enough to fly that, uh, recently and do things like the landing on that are humbling, right? It's just very, very different. Um, now that said, the aerobatics are a lot of fun. Uh, and, uh, I think the the advantage that you have coming from kind of a fighter background is you're used to processing things in an extremely quick time frame, uh, just because things happen very very quickly. Uh, and so, um, so that's one of the advantages is it's just the experience of, of being able to like things happen really fast when you're in those advanced aircraft uh, doing aerobatics. And so, being able to keep up with the airplane, uh, I think think will help. But dude, I've got a lot of work to get to the point that I'm I'm ready to to actually do well in these competitions 
Well, I look forward to, to watching you grow on Instagram. It's been cool uh, seeing the videos you've been posting and just kind of making that step. So it's really cool to see you kind of uh, continue to, to improve yourself and want to strive for more and strive to be the best that you can in everything you do. So I, I wish you the best in that. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Justin. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. I got some uh, rapid fire questions for you. Then I have one more question. Okay. Then we'll wrap it up. Uh, so these Actually, questions, you have to answer the quickest you possibly can. There's no pausing. Just okay. boom, 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 boom. Uh, if you Sweet. stumble on it, just whatever comes to your brain, just say it. All right? Yeah. All right. What's your favorite airplane ever made? F-15. Corporate jet. What's your favorite corporate jet ever made? Uh, 7X. <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite airliner? Uh, 787. Ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Uh, the uh, Probably A-10. It's also one of the sweetest, That's a gun, though. It's, it's also a one of the yeah. yeah, right. It's a gun with wings. <laughs> what is uh, something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Uh, dude, anyone can do it. It's good. I like that one. What's the most terrified you've been in an airplane? Uh, that you're allowed to say. Poison. I should preface that. <laughs> yeah, car- carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh, shoot. Yeah. All right. That would suck. Who's one person in the industry you would like to meet most? Oh, God. Could be alive uh, or passed on. Oh, passed? Uh, Robin Olds. Um, what's your favorite thing about aviation? Uh, freedom. Hardest flight you've ever had? Uh, or sortie, whatever military. Mi- yeah, Michigan Mich- Commander upgrade in the F-15. Favorite approach you've ever flown? <sighs> I think Aspen. What? Really? Oh, dang. Crazy. Favorite airport to land at? Uh, Guam. Least favorite airport you've ever had to land at? Mm, uh, probably Vegas. <laughs> IFR or VFR? VFR. What's been the hardest transition for you coming from military to civilian? Uh, you don't know everything. <laughs> There's a lot of learning to be had. Do you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or the city? Mountains. You have 30 minutes. You're, uh, commute. Maybe you're going to go fly out to go to your sweet Falcon, and you have about 30 minutes in a big major airport. What's your go-to airport food? Go-to airport food? Yeah, so like uh, uh, Chick-fil-A, Bojangles, uh, whatever you might have in a, in a uh, airport to go. I don't know. There's, uh, it depends on where I'm at. If I'm in Denver, it's going to be like a New Belgium. Would you rather... I already asked that. Airbus or Boeing? Mm, neither. <laughs> Boeing. <laughs> Favorite airline livery? Favorite airline library? Yeah. Uh, library. Yeah, I've been saying it wrong for 180 episodes. Is it, li- is it livery? I, I don't know. know. I, Someone correct I us. Who, what is it? Someone I, message me. Yeah, or message I, got my, I, got my, I went to public school in Texas. So yeah, I went to public school in North Carolina, me. so it's not much better. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I think some of the old school Americans uh, that with the silver, um, like when they were silvered, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like polished, I thought those were pretty sweet. Would you rather fly the longest trip you can possibly fly or as many short trips? And I'll make it even simpler. Would you rather fly the Freedom Flight, whether you're flying F-16 for 10 hours, 9 hours, or fly as many touch and goes and short landings as you can, short trips? I think uh, shorter trips because it's more flying. Biggest regret of your career so far, if you have one? Uh, Probably not speaking up one time when I should have. Biggest win of your career? I think getting out of the Air Force when I did. <laughs> <laughs> if you could own a plane, what would it be? Um, it'd be a game bird. Um, let's see. Favorite airline to fly on. Let's say you have a business class ticket to go anywhere in the world. What airline would you choose? Um, well, I've heard Ethiad's freaking awesome. And once again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but 
um, the UAE Airlines. But the one that I've the one that I've actually flown on that's the best is the French French Airlines. I got to fly business class in that. That oh, was sick. really 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 yeah. awesome. I feel like business class on pretty much anything is gonna be awesome. Just give me a life flat bed, some drinks, yeah, some right. food, and I will not be upset. <laughs> right. All right, man. Actually, let's do one more. What's your favorite aviation movie? I mean, it's got to be Top Gun, right? Got to be Top Gun. Top Gun is probably, I don't even know how much money the Air Force, like, Navy, or whoever could owe to Top Gun for getting pilots. It's absolutely insane. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the number one recruiting tool in thirty-five in the past 35 years, like I've said. It's insane. It's all all because of Tom Cruise, man. All because of Tom yeah. Cruise. <laughs> second, second one's coming out soon. I'm nervous, man. I don't. It's not going to be as good. Like it's all right. There's well, no way. It's got some big shoes to fill, right? It does. But maybe if we go in thinking it's not going to be as good, it's kind of like this is a totally different comparison. But I just watched Space Jam two, and it was terrible in comparison to Space Jam, <laughs> and it ruined the whole, didn't ruin right. the whole Space Jam experience. But like, oh. I don't know. It was just it was awful, and I don't want that to happen. <laughs> right. All right. Well, Trevor, those are mainly all the questions. My last one for you is. Someone right now is listening to this. They're like, I want to be a Thunderbird. I want to go down this route. I want to be just like Trevor. What kind of tips would you give them? What would you, I guess, three tips. What are three tips that they could succeed to get to where you are today? Uh, work really hard, right? Work is the number one, work as hard as you can, right? That's going to open up the doors uh, that you need uh, to stay humble. Uh, just because you work hard doesn't mean that you're the best. And the way that you get the best is by continuing to work hard and learn and get better. Um, and then three, understand that like, dude, everything is not going to go perfectly. Like you're going to fail at times. Like I've, uh, we didn't get to talk about it today, but I failed over and over and over and over and over and over again. Like you're going to fail along the way, but like keep working, keep working hard. And like, you'll find it fast. I love it. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, Sweet. it was really cool to talk to you, man. I hope one day we can yeah, meet up and, and talk some more. Uh, you have it. You've had a great career and I look forward to seeing what you're doing uh, in the future. And I love your attitude about everything. So I wish you nothing but the best. And uh, yeah, man, it was great talking to you. Yeah, really good talking to you. AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode 184 of the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy these podcasts. It's crazy that this is episode 184. Uh, 200 is coming up very quickly. And just to see the support, the growth. Continue to share this podcast, aviation or not, trying to grow this to, to be the biggest podcast that can possibly be. And I can't do that without you all. So thank you so much. Aviation, I hope you guys are having a great day. And as always, happy flying.